you're a visitor, we're so glad that you chose to be with us this morning. You can follow along in the bulletin. There is a sermon outline, also on you version of free app for your phone or mobile device. You can look under live events, find us there. As well, again, I'll just punch what you said earlier about the deacons. Yes, so next Sunday is the deadline. White box out there, just drop those in there. I saw people putting those in this morning, so bring them on. We need more deacons, so think, pray, write, and drop into the box. Um, Boy, yeah, you were talking about that Syrian refugee crisis and what's going on in the world. A friend of mine was telling me yesterday about a a young Syrian lawyer, a woman, who uh, is a refugee from Syria, so many are, and and came to their church in uh, Virginia to work on her English at their Friends Speak program. Actually, she thought it was a library. Uh, She showed up there, it was a church, and started uh, sitting across from a dear Christian sister there, and over a period of weeks uh, began to explore Jesus and faith. And, and really, she was Muslim, but, but because of abuses that she had seen perpetrated, she had lost a family member to ISIS who was brutally murdered and just seen oppression of women in, in pretty much her entire life there in Syria. She wasn't much of anything faith-wise when she came here. But after a few weeks, she just said, Hey, wait a second, as they were studying, she said, I don't want to be Muslim anymore. I want to follow Jesus. And so about two weeks ago, she was baptized into Christ. So so many Syrian refugees that would otherwise not hear the gospel are hearing the gospel here or in Europe. So that's exciting, exciting stuff. We'll be in this morning in 1 Peter as we continue our different series because normal isn't working. We'll be in 1 Peter 2. We'll be in the last half of chapter 2 and the first bit of chapter 3 this morning as we consider different relationships. Um, Have you ever heard that phrase before, in a perfect world? Of course you've heard that before. In a perfect world, and then someone inevitably, of course, begins to describe the world as they would love it to be, or a situation in their home, or in their work, or with their stock portfolio, or whatever. They begin to describe the world as it is not, because we don't live in a perfect world, but they begin to describe the world as it ought to be at least from their perspective. So I want you to consider with me this morning, in a perfect world, we're going to talk about that a little bit as we go into the text this morning, but I want you to think about, well, this is probably a good place to start. So we're in election season. I don't know if you knew that. So in a perfect world, who would be that ideal candidate? No names, please, all right? Um, Who would be that ideal candidate for the presidency of the United States, that perfect, you know, not too liberal, not too conservative, wise, uh, strong, moral compass, able to stand up to those who would corrupt or try to get that person out, a strong leader, someone who is able to influence and steer the team around them and work with the Congress to get things done. Who would, would it be a, would it be a woman? Would it be a man? Who would the ideal For you, in a perfect world, who would the ideal presidential candidate be? Let's change over to, how about your job? How about your workplace? How about the ideal boss? The ideal boss, someone who recognizes the value that you bring to the team. Someone who who encourages, who affirms you, but also challenges and brings out the best. 
Someone who, when you need a raise, gives you a raise. Someone who, when you deserve a promotion, gives you a promotion. Someone who is able to create this boss, a culture in the office where everyone more than gets along, everyone is engaged and working together for the common good. In a perfect world, what would that boss look like? And in a perfect world, (laughs) what would the perfect spouse be like? By the way, Angelina and Brad are available, I hear. I think they're getting a divorce. That was the news on TMZ this week. In a perfect world, what would the... Maybe the ideal spouse would look like one of those two, right? Uh, But on the inside, what would they be like? Uh, Wise and loving, uh, a great listener, someone who understands you. Someone who makes a lot of money so you don't have to worry about money. Someone who is a great father or a great mother. What would the perfect spouse be like? That perfect companion that you would look forward to spending the rest of your life with. Um, In a perfect world. Well, of course, the only perfect world would be that world, heaven would be that world where the will of, done, of God is done perfectly. In heaven, God has a 100% approval rating as far as governing things, right? I mean, he is the only ruler I know of that truly has that kind of approval. In heaven, um, there is the perfect relationship, that unity, that oneness that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share. It is the perfect, the perfect communion relationship. In heaven, there is no pain. There is no injustice. Heaven is a perfect place. Now, the interesting thing is Jesus left all of that, right? Isn't that the story that we celebrate uh, moving into December and the Christmas time of year? Jesus left that because for God so loved the world. Because of his love, he comes to us and he brings the perfections of heaven with him into this imperfect world. I mean, because of him, we enjoy in Christ perfect forgiveness. In Christ, we are perfectly loved and accepted. Because of Christ, we have meaning and purpose. He brought that glimpse of glory down to us, a little bit of that perfection of heaven down to us for us to experience. So if you are a believer, you have tasted perfection. You've gotten a glimpse of perfection. Now... How do I bring that? How do I bring that love and that goodness and that justice? How do I bring that forgiveness into this broken place, into this less than perfect world? How do I do that? Peter is working with with us on that. You're going to have to be different, he tells us. The same is simply not working. The same is not making things any better. And Peter, this morning, is going to talk about those three relationships. Right? He's going to talk about a relationship with a spouse. He's going to talk about your job relationship. He's going to talk about your relationship with political leadership, with with the government. And as he writes to them about how should you, as a believer, live in this imperfect world with the government, he's writing to a group of people who would, their president, I mean their king, their emperor, was a guy named Nero, who everyone knew hated Christians. Not a good guy. Not one of the great Roman emperors, or on that, I guess if you're going to do a spectrum, not one of the better ones, okay? Um, So how are they to deal with that as believers? 
How about dealing with the imperfect boss or the imperfect workplace? Well, in 1 Peter, he is going to deal with folks who are slaves, literally slaves. That's imperfect. (laughs) That's far from ideal. They did not choose that. 30% of the Roman world, think about that, 30% of the Roman world lived in slavery. They were captured in battle or they were bought and sold from some other people. And they lived in slavery. How do you do that? If you are born into or sold into or captured into that situation where you are a slave, that's not perfect. How do you do that? How do you live in that imperfect situation? And then he's going to write to spouses. Man, these are people who love their spouse, um, but their spouse, in the case that Peter's going to address, they were not Believers, They were not Christians. So you had a case where, where they were married, but one of them simply didn't have that same commitment to the Lord, didn't believe in Jesus. And so that's a difficult, uh, less than perfect situation. It's one that some of us uh, perhaps find ourselves in uh, even today. And in these perfect situations, Peter's challenge is to be different because what we see normally playing out in the sphere of work, the sphere of politics, the sphere of the home, it's not working all that well. And so he tells them in 1 Peter 3, verse 9, he says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with what? With, with blessing. Repay evil with blessing. Repay insult with blessing. Now that's different, folks. Repay it with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So here's what what we have to do, I think, to keep the faith, to live for Christ, when circumstances and situations around us are not ideal, when we find ourselves in a not-so-perfect world. So write this down. This is kind of the cornerstone. This is what holds us down, keeps us centered In a world where people are tossed around by changing circumstances, I am different because I tie onto the unchanging Christ. I anchor into Christ. Remember that that image we saw when we opened our service this morning of Christ seated at the right hand of God. Christ who is over all powers and dominions. We tie into that. Because there are no guarantees in the imperfect, challenging relationships that we will experience in this world life. So what is, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what different looks like, but what is normal? You don't need a lot of help probably imagining that because you see that all the time. What is normal? What is the way people usually do business in imperfect situations, in challenging situations? Well, Peter tells us that. That's on your outline as well. It, normal is Normal is deception, it, it, it's retaliation, normal is revenge, normal is, is in, throwing insults around, normal is outward beauty. That, that one seems like an odd fit there, but it, it really does fit. Normal is, okay, I can't manage this situation, it's too tough for me, uh, I'll just look good. Or I'll try to make the situation look good. Worry about the appearances there. That's normal. It's what we're used to. And Peter says, that's not working. I mean, watch the news. It's not working. Different is, and he provides those words for us today, different is being honest, not deceptive. 
It's not trading insult for insult, but blessing for insult. Different is, 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 is not retaliating. Difference is having compassion. Difference is having sympathy. Someone may be very different from you, may look very different, but sympathy says, I want to understand you. I want to I listen to you. I want to hear where you're coming from. I want to be sympathetic. Um, and it's not focusing on the externals. Different is focusing on what's going on inside. Because so I realize that the problems that are generated in my world are coming from in here somewhere, the sinful, fallen nature. So specifically, Peter is going to take this difference that Christ causes in us, and he's going to translate that into each of these three different spheres that are challenging. The first sphere he's going to talk about is our relationship with the government. We don't hear much about this, all right, at church. We don't talk much about this. Well, Peter talked about it. It was especially relevant to them because their relationship with the government, it just was not good, okay? And here's what he tells them in verses 13 17. He says, for the Lord's sake. And by the way, that phrase is going to transfer to all these different relationships. Where things are not perfect, I live for the Lord's sake. So for the Lord's sake, respect all human authority. Whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. Respect everyone, God, and respect the king. And like I said, for the people getting this letter, their government was pagan. Their government was brutal. Their government was oppressive. For most of them, their government, Rome, they weren't even citizens of Rome. Okay? They were just an occupied land, but that was their government. Their government was anti-Christian. Just like America, right? No, not just like America. Obama's not lighting the rose garden at night using Christians as human torches. Nero was. At least that was the rumor that was going around. I mean, it was bad. Truly anti-Christian. Now, to say that Peter is writing to believers who did not fully support their government, well, that would be the understatement of the century. Um, yeah, they didn't support all the decisions their government was making. But because of their relationship to the King of Kings, to Jesus, because they were anchored into Christ, they could respond in a way that was very different. That was not the normal way to respond to those circumstances. So here goes on the outline this morning. The difference that Christ makes in our relationship with those in charge, with those in authority. I don't have to agree I don't have to agree with everything my government stands for or does in order to represent my Lord by being a good citizen, right? This doesn't sound good to us as Americans. This doesn't sound good in any part of the world because it's different. It's not the way we, we, we tend to operate, is it? to respect and to be a good citizen. Jesus, you know, when he was asked, shown that coin, um, who should we honor? Who should we follow? He said, well, look at that coin. 
He said, give to Caesar what's Caesar. That's Caesar's faith. Give to, give to Caesar what's Caesar. Give to God what's God's. You owe something to the government, Jesus says. Well, one way that I honor and respect my Lord is by being a good citizen. That doesn't sound sexy, but that's what the Bible tells us to do. Every once in a while, yes, every once in a while, the government may ask you to do something that is a violation of your conscience, a violation of your relationship with the Lord. I can tell you in 47 years of life, the government has never personally asked me to do that. But yeah, I assume that could happen. That's why people always say, well, what if? Well, okay. Yeah, you're going to follow God. You're not going to follow man in that case. But because I know Jesus, because I know I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus under His perfect reign, His goodness, His love, His justice, I can make it here. I can live in the here and now and be a good, productive citizen, respecting the king, respecting the president, or you get the idea. I can do that. Peter asked me to do that. Pay your taxes. In a democracy like ours, make it a habit to go to the polls and vote and be an informed voter. Obey the laws of the land. Pray for your public officials, even the ones you don't like, even the ones you didn't vote for. The government isn't perfect. Of course it's not. And it won't be after November the 8th either. By the way, I heard one the other day. Someone put on Facebook, they said, So, is your refrigerator running? If so, can I vote for it? Anyway. Maybe that resonates with some of you more than, more than others. Well, here's the next difficult relationship. It is the relationship with my boss. Inherently difficult for anybody in any circumstance, their relationship with their boss. Here's what he says in verses 18 to 20. You who are servants, be good servants to your masters. Not just to good masters, but also to the bad ones. If you're treated badly for good behavior and continue in spite of it to be a good servant, this is what counts with God. In other words, again, I'm not working for that master, for that boss. I'm working for a higher power. I serve the Lord. He's watching. He loves to see me do my best even in the difficult situation. Again, what is normal? What do we usually do when we're dealing with a situation where there is a bad boss? It is to gossip. It is to do the bare minimum. Don't work too hard for that boss. He doesn't deserve your best. Um, I mean, it is, that's the normal way of going about things. And remember, Paul, uh, rather, Peter is talking to people here who are far, far, far away from an ideal work situation. I promise you, your situation is better than their situation because they were slaves. Born into it, captured into it, sold into it. They were slaves. Not a great situation to find yourself in. And I love that phrase at the end of verse 20 where Peter says, that is what counts with God. That is what counts with God. There's something bigger going on than your employment situation than how well that is going. It's what counts with God. Who are you ultimately serving? And that's a reminder, I belong to God. He's my master. He's the boss of my life. 
um, so I can tie into him. I can do my best at work and honor my boss because I know my true master is watching. My Lord is paying attention, and he is pleased when he sees me doing my best, especially in situations where it would, the normal would be not doing my best. Okay? Now, let's pause here for just a second. This passage is not, underline not, this is not a passage where the Bible is promoting slavery or condoning slavery. It is not that. This is the Lord speaking to people in their particular situation. Okay? You unfortunately have been born into this situation or have ended up in this situation. How should you deal with this situation? Not saying, hey, that's a great situation. It's great. Slavery's awesome. That's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying, man, if you're in this situation, in fact, uh, most translations will say, even if your boss is a, or your, your master is a cruel master, then this is how you sh- should respond. The Bible's actually saying, this isn't good. This is not right. Um, and how should you handle that? Well, here it is. And, and we're going to translate it more to our world, all right? Um, the world of the workplace here in, in America 2016. The difference that Christ makes is this. I don't have to like my boss in order to honor him or her, and work to the best of my ability. Okay? I don't have to like him. All right? Um, The word of the Lord is that every one of us as an employee, regardless of whether the boss is awesome or great or not, um, the word of the Lord is this. Treat your boss with dignity. Treat your boss with respect. Do your job very, very well. Um, Finally, the third difficult relationship this morning has to do with the spouse. And this is a very specific situation that Peter is addressing. It is one where a Christian woman has come to the Lord, has given her life to Christ. Her spouse has not, okay? She, her spouse has not. So it's a believer with an unbeliever in a marriage. Now, again, I, I think you can imagine probably she loves her spouse, um, um, her spouse loves her. It's just that they don't share this, this anchor point. They don't share this, this conviction that is greater than any other, that conviction that, that Christ is Lord. So, my spouse, here's the word from Peter in chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. So we're putting all of the passages that nobody likes here together. Thank you, Peter, for grouping these all together. We can get this out of the way in one Sunday, right? I mean, he says, They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. The authority of your husband. Yeah, that's not real popular these days. Um, So we have a wildly unpopular text talking about if your master is cruel, serve him, do your best for him. Um, talking about submit to your husband's authority. Um, it's that. Go- so one of our ministers this week, I was talking about the text I was going to preach, and one of our ministers in the office was just sharing a personal story. He said, you know, a while back, I was, I was doing a wedding for a couple, and they were having their wedding at a different church, different denomination. I won't tell you what denomination it was, but a different denomination. They, they see things very differently. And he was asked... 
since he's not from that denomination, to submit his sermon for approval by their leadership, right? And he had, I don't know if it was this passage or Ephesians 5, but it had one of those passages talking about the leadership that the husband should exercise in the home. He had that in there along with, well, they deleted all of that and sent the sermon back. So, yeah, not popular. I mean, when, when leaders in churches feel comfortable deleting certain texts from the New Testament out of your sermon, uh, those are not texts that are very popular. But let's make a couple of important observations here. I mean, it is in the, let me just say, first of all, that is in the Bible, all right? And we're not going to delete things out of the Bible or pretend they're not there. It's there for a reason, and it may shock us, it may be different than what we think, but it's God's Word. Now, first, let me make this point. When both spouses belong to Jesus, this looks differently, okay? This is not the situation that Peter is necessarily talking about here, but when both spouses belong to Jesus, it looks different because as believers, we understand that leadership or authority for Christians is not bossing people around, right? It is not giving the orders. It is not calling the shots. Uh, That's not what it is for believers. Leadership is service to another person. It is thinking about the good of that person, working for their good, sacrificing for that person, making decisions in order to bless that person. That's what Christian leadership looks like. Um, Paul says in Ephesians 5 that a man exercises leadership in his home... By giving his life for his spouse, just as Christ gave his life for the church. That's a model of Christian leadership. It is surrendering your life to serve another. Very different view of leadership, right, than what's normal in the world. Amen? Yeah. But here in 1 Peter, we have this situation, don't we, where the spouse doesn't believe spouse doesn't go to church. The, the spouse doesn't pray to Jesus. Um, so here's the difference that Christ makes in this particular relationship. It's on your outline this morning. I don't have to see eye to eye with my spouse in order to make concessions and be considerate. Be respectful. I don't have to see eye to eye there to be respectful, considerate with my spouse. Now... We live in a day and time where we are constantly being tossed around by changing circumstances and often less than desirable circumstances, difficult circumstances. And it could be in your marriage. It could be in your job. It could be a relationship with governing powers with the authorities that God has appointed. Now, we have the resources as believers to deal with these imperfect situations, these difficulties, because we have tied onto the unchanging Christ. Um, We're anchoring into His love. We're anchoring into His justice. We're anchoring into His goodness. We're anchoring into the mission, the redemptive mission that he's given us here in this broken world. Well, so many people see their spouse or see their political candidate 
or see their job as their Savior. Okay, now they may not call it that way. They may not say my job is my Savior, but they act like it is. That's, what, that's where their identity comes from. All of their affirmation, their self-worth comes from their job for these folks. Um, and their relationship with their, with their spouse or their job or their cause. Um, that's where their hope is found. They think, well, this is, this is where things are going to get better for me. It's in this person or it's in this candidate or it's in this cause or it's in this new job situation. The problem becomes very clear to us, doesn't it? Because when, your view, when, or when you view rather your spouse as a sort of savior for you, you're going to find frustration. Because even that precious person who you love and who you chose to marry, that person is going to let you down. That person is not perfect and very varying degrees of that, right? And that person is, is supposed to be your spouse, not your savior. And when you see your job, right, or your cause as your savior, same problem, you'll just end up frustrated because ultimately you weren't made for this world. You were not designed to find your contentment, your satisfaction, your salvation in stuff that's down here in this world. Um, you were made for something better. And Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, He is the only one who can deliver your salvation. So quit looking for it anywhere else. And that's why in the here and now, as we, believe, as we are believers, we live a different sort of life, a peculiar sort of life. And as Peter says in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, we are living believers. We are living as strangers and aliens in the world. Aliens and strangers in the world. That's different. All right? That's not normal. And that's our call. Let's pray about this before we finish out. Hadn't planned on this, but I think these texts are very challenging for us. So, Holy Spirit, we come before you this morning. We've encountered your truth this morning in the Word of God. A truth that does not fit well with our culture, with our times. And we invite you to conform us, not to the culture, not to the spirit of the age, but to conform us to your truth. We belong to a greater master. And we seek affirmation and acceptance. We receive affirmation and acceptance. We seek forgiveness and we receive forgiveness. We seek love and we receive love, perfect love, through Jesus and nowhere else. And our prayer, Holy Spirit, is that you will set us free to be mastered only by you so that we can live and serve and love and do our best and influence as salt and light in all of these different other situations that are less than perfect. Help us to do that for your glory. Amen.
If you want to accept Jesus as your Savior this morning, be baptized into him. Or if you need prayers, respond as we stand together and worship. Love.